All right, we're at chapter 2 of Philippians, starting in verse 17, and we'll read consecutively as we go around the room through verse 30. Okay. All right. So uh, last week we were discussing the fact that uh, Paul in this passage early on, he says that we should uh, be like Christ in the, in the first part of the chapter, which is, uh, is a great thing to emulate. It is great to shoot for being like Christ, but let's face it, uh, it's a little tough to live up to that. You know, and to expect that that is going to be your, your end all and be all until we get to heaven and, and the Father uh, completely changes us into the image of the Son. So that being said, uh, then Paul also mentions that, you know, we should be like him and we should emulate what he does as he follows God's will. Uh, so we should also follow uh, uh, Paul's example. And let's face it, that's a kind of a high bar as well, you know, let a guy wrote what roughly 50 percent of the of the new testament uh he's an apostle to the gentiles he's been hand chosen by god to do some amazing things he stands before kings and governors and and rulers and 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 shares uh, god's uh, word with them uh and you know he's been beaten for christ he's been shipwrecked he's been persecuted i mean the man has done it all and it's that's a tough tough place to live you say well could i ever be like that well yeah as a matter of fact we could if, if that's if we are willing to to spend time with the lord and allow the lord to do his will within us but paul goes on to say well then you know what is as another example how about timothy be like timothy and then be like aphrodite 
uh, Epaphroditus. So it, th those are where we're at as we're talking about uh, Timothy. We were starting to talk about Timothy last week. We talked about the fact that he has a servant's mind, verses 19 through 21, and, and that uh, we, we, I think we mentioned that, uh, that of all of the people that are in Rome, Paul says, you know, Timothy's the one that, that stood with me, has been with me through thick and thin, has been the one who's, who's been there to help me when no one else would. And uh, even though there are probably a hundred or more believers maybe a whole lot more than that in Rome itself. In fact, in, in Romans chapter, at the end of, the, of, of Romans, I think it's chapter 16, uh, there is a list of 26 people that are mentioned. You know, and of all of those, Timothy is the one who apparently is, is closest to Paul and the one who has spent the most time uh, being with him. Yeah, you know, that that is kind of a uh, you know a judgment I think on on at least on me at times. You know, I think to myself, am I living my life in a way that I'm concerned about others, or am I more concerned about myself? And 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 I, I you know I'll admit I struggle with that. I try to I try to be that, but there are times when you go, you know, doggone it, I got to do this again, or you know, I've got to, and, and yet that's what God expects for us is to put others in front of ourselves. And that's a tough thing. And that's a, that's a pretty tough criticism that Paul uh, puts out there. Um, <clears throat> I can only remember one situation where I felt like um, I stood by a, a pastor that when no one else did. It was, it was sad because I was the one that was helping him pack to leave the church. Uh, that you know he had just had some issues that and I don't know you know God sometimes wounds us greatly in order to make it to help us serve greatly you know it seems like the deeper our call to ministry sometimes the the greater wounding that we have to go through so that we can appreciate others uh, struggles and sorrows and and so it was with uh, with my friend John um, so uh, Timothy was had a servant's mind. Uh, he's not involved in, you know, the wranglings and the issues that are going on in the church. He's more concerned about making sure that that uh, he's not promoting one party over another. He's not supporting a divisive cause. He's interested in the spiritual condition of, of God's people, and that concern was something that eventually became natural to him. So that means that the more that we spend being concerned about others, the more likely we are to become more and more like Christ. Because we're putting others first. You know, Jesus didn't remember. It's a great passage, but have we ever really caught the, the full meaning of the fact that, you know, Christ says that I came to serve, not to be served? This is the God of creation. The, the very person of that, that did creation is the Son. He's the one that holds it all together, is what we find out in in the epistles he's the glue that holds the creation together he came to serve us how, how does that can, can you wrap your minds around that I, I can't i'm blown away every time i think about why in the world would the god of creation be interested in me and why would he seek me out now some of you i could understand why he might seek you out 
Well, that's a, that's a good thing. I can see. I see things when I look at myself. I go, there's no good in me. I'm an evil person. I know the depths of my heart. I know the evil that dwells there. Oh, like the shadow. Um, <laughs> only those of you that are really old understood that. <laughs> the shadow knows. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? All right, you. At least you're not a millennial. All right, so, so anyhow, uh, that, that's Timothy. And then Timothy goes on, and we talk about the fact that Timothy also is, uh, is, uh, has a servant's training. And we got, this is kind of where we went off the rails last, last week uh, a bit, when we talked about the fact that you don't put hands on someone too soon. When they come to know the Lord, it's important that we know that they are well-grounded and founded in, in the Word, if you're going to put them in a place of leadership. Now, can they speak into their experience and talk about what they've done? Absolutely. But you got to be careful about elevating someone too quickly to a place of leadership in a church when they've not been properly trained and they haven't had a chance to season. You know, it's, uh, um, it's important that we, uh, that we allow people to grow and don't expect them to be able to you know, remember this, how long did Paul becomes a believer? Do you remember how long he seasoned before God reached out and said, okay, now it's time? Three years. Three years? Seriously? And, your guys, and the guy's name is Paul? The apostle that wrote 50% of the, of the New Testament, roughly? Do you think maybe that he had, and he'd been trained as a rabbi? He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He probably had, he at least had the, the first five books totally memorized and probably a good portion of the, of the prophets as well. Well, we're going to all the prophecies in Isaiah and Malachi and all the books. Of, yeah. Um, and it just didn't pop for him. When we get to uh, when we get to chapter three, we're going to see Paul's going to lay out his credentials, at least from the the flesh, you know, and say, "Here's where I am. Here's who I am." And if others can claim, you know, that you ought to be listening to them, I more so. And and his his credentials are amazing. You're right. He's a he's a well learned man, but again. You know, the problem so often that we all have. I know I had this in certain parts of my life is that I have been so ingrained that certain teachings have been so ingrained that when it, when God started to open my eyes to what was there in the scripture versus what someone had taught me, it was hard for me to, to put aside my own thoughts on this. It took me a while to, to reason out what God wanted out of that that understanding to re-understand and even today there are times when i still have to sit and ponder certain situations and go you know because my natural reaction is to go back to my early training which tends towards the legalistic side of things and so i have to rethink sometimes 
And even when I know, I've, no, I to, I've told you this, I told you that, that there came a point in my life where I said to my kids, I don't have a problem if you want to go to movies as long as it's a, an appropriate movie for your age and appropriate in its, its uh, what it, it, it t uh, teaches in the movie, what it's, it's attempting to say. Or if it is something that's wrong, at least you and I can have a discussion about it afterwards and, and talk through what the biblical perspective is on this, this situation. And so it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to allow them to go do it. I'm in my head. I knew that it was it was okay to do that. In my heart, I had a hard time because I'd been trained that it was just wrong. You didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much, much like Jesus, yeah, who was willing to slip, slip away and spend time with the Father, recharge his batteries. I, I you know, so I would just say that as we learn, uh, as we study, as we attempt to put into into practice what we learn, uh, we need to allow it to season in us and to develop, you know, and for the Holy Spirit to do the work that He wants to do in us so that we end up being the type of person that Christ wants us to be. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2, when we get to, to verse 2 of, of Romans 2, uh, 12, excuse me, it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally, the, the word transformed is metamorphosis. It is the same concept of a butterfly who becomes, a, uh, you know, that, that starts off as a caterpillar who becomes a butterfly. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to go into the chrysalis. And then when he comes out of the chrysalis, do you know that one of the reasons the butterfly has to sit there so long and flap its wings is to pump the, the, the life-giving flow of, of the butterfly's life into the wings to allow it to fly? Without that, it can't fly? And that happens with uh, it transforms the mind, not the soul. Yeah. 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 So transform your mind by the renewing of your mind, which means that spending time, I think, on a regular basis in God's Word to allow God to do the, the what needs to be done. In, in There are passages in, uh, I think it's Titus, uh, that talk about the, the, uh, that the, the Word of God washes us. It cleanses us. If we, if we spend time in the, in the Word of God, it will... It will cleanse us from the the, the evil that, that's there. Um, one of the pictures that is interesting is in the in the Old Testament. Uh, well, let me just start in in James. I believe it's James. It talks about the fact that that the Word of God is like a mirror that reflects we uh, truly accurately re reflects who we are and what's wrong with us. And we look in the mirror and we go, Oh yeah, I got a dirt streak right there. I need to clean that off. And hopefully, we'll, we do. Otherwise, we walk away and we know what we look like and people, you know, look at us pointing and go, he's got a dirt streak there, you know. Um, but what I find fascinating is the symbolism in the Old Testament of the, of the tabernacle. The tabernacle um, had this bronze laver, which is basically a large pool 
that collected water, and it was used to ceremonially cleanse the priests before they went in with the sacrifices into the into the the holy place. Let alone and and on the on the uh, uh, the bronze uh, altar, and if they went into the holy place, let alone the holy of holies. So they had to go through this process of cleansing themselves. And it's interesting if you go back to uh, to Exodus and you read about the manufacturing of the laver. It's interesting. Moses said to the people, I want all of the women to donate their bronze mirrors so we can make the laver. Do, do you see the, the, the symbolism of what it is? The, the laver is the mirror that allows us to wash ourselves. So we've got the washing of the water, the washing of the word, and the, the picture of the mirror showing us the accurate reflection of who we are that God used in this bronze laver to create for the for the the tabernacle, I find it fascinating that it's there, and I think it's an interesting point for us to understand that God's word is talking even in the the tabernacle. The very way the tabernacle is is constructed is done so to to point out to us the importance of God's word and the importance of sacrifice and the importance of all other things that are that are there. We won't someday we should take a a stroll through the tabernacle. Wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, just uh, all some some more stuff for me to prepare, um, but it would be a it would be a, it's a it is a fascinating study. So anyhow, we're talking about uh, Timothy having the mind of 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 uh, a servant and the and the training of a servant, and then uh, and and then he has the the reward of a servant in verses twenty three and twenty four. We talk about the fact that Timothy knew the meaning of sacrifice and service. It, it says that it, one of the passages tells us that Timothy was a good and faithful servant. He was faithful. And I love this passage that, that uh, I think it's out of um, Matthew uh, 25, I think, verses 21, where it says, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll give you charge over other things. I used to use this all the time in ministry. You, you, you want to, to uh, you want to speak from the platform, you want to sing a solo, you want to be highlighted. Well, what are you doing in the grunt work? What are you doing in the trenches? You know, I can remember one of the first churches I was doing big productions at, I had people come up to me all the time wanting to tell me that they that they felt that they should be singing a solo in the in the, the next production. I said, well, you know, that'd be great. You ought to join the choir with us. You know, we're going to be... And, uh, Oh no! I, I I just sing solos. I said, "Oh, well, there's a passage that talks about that," you know. And I, and, and I had a list of things that uh, principles that, that that I would pass out to them. And one of the things was, you know, be faithful in small things. God will give you better, bigger and greater things, you know. And and sometimes you just have to pay your dues, you know. You don't walk in and just suddenly take over. Uh, and occasionally that is when you hire someone that happens. But if you're going to be there as a volunteer, usually you don't get to volunteer to be the pastor, you know. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> although there are there are churches in Sicily that that the pastor gets no pay; he is a volunteer, which is just kind of yeah. This whole kind of conversation about you know being married before yeah. Okay. With the nudge from God. Yeah. You know, because just in my personal experience, I found that the less I know, the more God will bring. 
Yeah. No, but see, there's, that's, that's a different aspect there because what's going on, and, and thank you for bringing that up because that's, that's an important thing to know. What we have here is that God, if God is going to call you to do something, God is also going to provide for you the tools necessary to do that. And, and so there's, that's absolutely correct. But in addition to that, you, you don't reach out to someone specifically and say, okay, I'm going to bring in, you know, my three-year-old to lead the choir or to, you know, to teach a Sunday school lesson. You might have them share the part of the story, you know. As a kid, my, my wife, my wife, my wife, not my wife, my mother taught primaries, primaries at one of the churches when I was growing up. And she used to practice telling the story uh, with me. And she would, it was back in the days of flannel graph. Those of you that are young don't know flannel graph. Those of us who are older, we understand. It's kind of like a, uh, kind of like a uh, paper dolls, you know, where you could take and put stuff on the paper doll. Okay, that's the, the story was told and there would be pieces of, there'd be maybe a flannel graph of Joseph and a flannel graph of Mary and it might be her riding a donkey. And then there's a flannel graph of the, the child in the in the cradle, you know, and, and, and in the in the feed trot, the manger, and so, so and there be an angel, and there you know, so there are all these things, and you put them up on flannel, and it sticks to the flannel, so it's kind of like the, before Velcro was around, that was kind of what they what they did, right? So, uh, so my my mother would tell the story, and then I would get to class, and I would correct her because she wasn't telling the story the way she told it to me, so I'd have to help her out, you know. That, that went over real well. That, that only lasted a very short time, and then suddenly I was no longer being the, the guinea pig of her telling <laughs> stories. I don't know how that worked out like that, but, but there reaches a point where you do know stuff, and God expects you to use that. And here's the thing. You don't have to be, I, I, I've told you this, you know how you witness to somebody? You don't have to know the scripture to witness to them. You don't have to know all the verses. It would be helpful if you knew like Romans Road or you knew John 3.16 or some of those passages that help us. But here's what, you, here's what you have to do. You just have to share with them what God did for you. That, that, that story is a story that, that's uniquely yours, and no one can take the story from you. So you're right. When God bubbles up and nudges you, hey, you ought to share something, it's something that you probably are already somewhat aware of, and God's going to bring it to your mind. That's the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, when you get in front of somebody, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will provide for you the words. There have been times when I wish that he'd provide me for a few more words in a, <laughs> in a few places, but <laughs> yeah. do I get a witness there? Yeah. Yeah, apparently, yeah, that's right. My, my wife always says to me, she says, I'm not good in the middle of a conversation. As I walk away, I have all these things for the next hour or two, all these things I should have said, you know? <laughs> all right. Or, well, yeah, my, my wife rarely says it has a problem with shouldn't have. That's more my, my department. <laughs> you know, each of us has something we're good at. Mine is that one, you know, the, what I shouldn't have had said. You were going to say something? Yeah. Uh, it's powerful. I, I was just reading a, in a magazine, there's a quote by uh, Leonard Gravenhill, uh, an old time preacher. But he said, A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a 
that's good. I thought that was, that was great because a lot of times, you know, we, we run into people that have so many arguments and so many questions and stuff like that, but you, you relate your experience with that. And, and, and uh, I've done that a couple of times with people that are, that are very antagonistic, you know, and, and, and question a lot of things, which is a real tragedy, too. Well, I think in all fairness, all of us have, have some, you know, we're all are hoping that someday God will share with us some of the questions we have and, and explain to us. Although I'm also pretty certain there are some things that, like Job, you know, when he comes to God, he says, you know, God, you got some explaining to do. And uh, God says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Let me ask you a few questions before you ask any of yours. And, of course, as Job ends, Job never gets his questions answered. <laughs> <laughs> which I find fascinating. But God, you know, pretty much puts Job in his place. Says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I created the Leviathan? Where were you when I did this and did that? And, you know, who are you to tell me what I should or shouldn't do? So Paul uh, says that Timothy has a reward. Timothy, Timothy's reward is not only is he, is he, Paul considers him a son, he considers him a servant, he also ends up substituting for Paul. Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy in my place. Well, that's pretty high praise. You know, think about it. That's pretty high praise. You know, I, I, you know what? I'm going to send him. He's going to be my representative. And so uh, a submissive mind is not the product, by the way, of a, an hour's sermon or a week's seminar or even a year of service. A submissive mind is something that grows in us and it takes a lifetime for us to be, actually end up becoming a fully submissive to Christ. It doesn't happen in an hour. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a year. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to be submissive to God. How many times do I argue with God? If you would, you know, God, I don't want to do that. That's not, what, that's not my plan for my life. My plan for my life is this. You want me to do that. Do I really have to do that? You know, of course, if, if I do it, I usually do it kicking and screaming. I know none of you do that. I know all of you are just, as soon as you set that nudge, you just go. And, and I'm not the nudge guy. I rarely, I rarely get it. I rarely hear the still small voice. It has to be shouted at me. You know, I, I told you when it became time for me to, to really move from being a, a, a worship pastor to being a, a teaching pastor, if you will, or a senior pastor, it took me three job interviews where I was actually candidating. And at the end of each candidacy, the, the, someone would come to me and say, you know, you really ought to be a senior pastor. You ought to be a teaching pastor. You shouldn't be a, a worship pastor. You have way too much information at your fingertips. And I'm going, eh, that's not really. By the time the third time is, oh, were you talking to me, God? <laughs> I missed the first one. I missed the second one. By the third one, my wife goes, she says, honey, you should have never got your doctorate. I think God ruined you. <laughs> the two-by-four two approach. That's right. That, and, and so don't be, don't be like me. Just saying. We're going to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is kind of interesting. You know, it says that he almost died getting to Paul. Epaphroditus' job was to move uh, a sum of money that the, the, the Philippian church had gathered together to help support Paul when he was in uh, jail in Rome, and they were sending Epaphroditus there. 
Now, it's really difficult that some of the travels that would appear that he had to travel through were either late fall or early spring. And especially when you had to travel by ship, that was very dangerous at certain, at certain times of, of the year uh, in the Mediterranean. And he was over in Greece and he had to get over to Italy and it was faster to go by ship for a portion of that travel than to go all the way around the, uh, the, and take the road all the way around uh, the Mediterranean to get over there. So, uh, in, in on the trip, he apparently uh, fell sick, almost to the point of dying. So when he gets, now we don't know if it was somewhere on the trip or it, was, it happened as he got to Paul, but apparently he was, he was in, uh, he was sent there to help Paul, not only to bring the money to Paul, but to deliver it to Paul and then to, to help Paul in any way that he can. And it seems as though from this, this story here that we get that Paul was doing more of ministering to Epaphroditus than Epaphroditus was, was being able to do to him. And, and apparently word got back to the, the Philippian church that Epaphroditus had almost died. And so the first thing that Paul does is he says, uh, I want to send Timothy, but I, I'm a, I, it's going to be necessary for, prob I'm going to send Timothy as soon as I can, but I think I'm going to send Epaphroditus a little sooner. I'm going to send him back right away. And so he commends Epaphroditus. He talks about Epaphroditus' relationship with, him, with Paul. And he, and he calls him, uh, he, it almost it treats him as though he's an equal with no hint of inferiority or failure on his part. He's a, he's a true co-worker of, of Paul's. And so I think that's kind of interesting that he's, he's that. And he talks about the fact that he's our, he was your messenger. The word messenger is, uh, is a word that we get the word apostle from. It's uh, someone who's sent, a sent person. And so they're saying that, they're saying that Paul, that, that Epaphroditus functioned as a messenger to, uh, to Paul from the Philippian church. He's also called a servant. And, and in, this, um, in this word sometimes suggests uh, religious service, but in this time, in this particular passage, it's, it's talking about the mission that he has, that he has a mission to fulfill, that he's there to serve to serve Paul. Uh, Epaphroditus was apparently a, a, a rather balanced uh, individual. And, and do you think that balance is important in our lives? I have one of the passages here I got. Balance is important. So often we get unbalanced and we, we emphasize one thing over another. Uh, so the, some people emphasize fellowship as the most important thing and, and they, they forget the, that besides fellowship, we're supposed to further the gospel. Often the, you, you'll see that in what I call the, the, the country club church, you know, where, you know, you, you, you dress a certain way, you, you act a certain way, you, you belong to all the clubs that the church has. Everything is about your fellowship time, you know, and you really don't have time for other people. If they, if they come and they join your church, you got to make sure that they are vetted appropriately and they're the kind of people that you want to have, just like they would in a, in a, you know, in a country club. And, and so there are the fellowship churches. Then there are the, the, the churches that are involved in defending the faith of the gospel and, and, and in so, being so focused on, on the fight to, to see the gospel go forward that they neglect the building up of the fellowship with other believers. And so they overemphasize. You can overemphasize either or 
And God says, no, no, we need to emphasize both. We need to have both the social aspect of the gospel and the, 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 the gospel of the spiritual aspect of the gospel is important. And so often, you know, as in the early 20th century, that was a, that was a problem. It's what helped to split the, the churches in the, into two camps, uh, both the, 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 the legalistic and, the, and the, the fundamentalist groups and the, those groups that were uh, much more mainline and much more liberal in their theology, and, and they were preaching the social gospel to the exclusion of the spiritual aspect of the gospel. But woe and behold, the, if the... The, the fundamentalists didn't do the same thing themselves. They emphasized one thing over the other. God says, you know, let justice and righteousness roll down like mighty rivers. They're supposed to be together. They're supposed to be parallel. Righteousness of the gospel, justice uh, that God expects for us, that we're supposed to, that's one of the things that I think is, is the, one of the positive things that I see it with Kensington is they do a, a pretty good job of, of doing both. And of, and of encouraging to do both. And, and, uh, and I think God is blessing them as a result of that. You remember Nehemiah, we studied Nehemiah. Remember there's a passage in Nehemiah 4, 17, where it says that he, taught, he told the people that they were to build uh, the wall uh, of the, 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 the city of Jerusalem with, uh, with a trowel in one hand and with a sword in the other. Remember that? That's important that you do both. You're building and protecting as necessary when it's necessary. And so often we get involved in one or the other. And and I think it's interesting that, that Nehemiah says, do it with a sword and a trowel in your hand. Uh, Dr. Ironside, who was a, uh, had been involved in a lot of different things, one of the things, he wrote a number of books. You can check them out. Uh, Old Ironside is funny. He was a he was a professor in his later life at, at Bob Jones, and, and he tells to tell a story. I I was not along. I was not around. Uh, I'm old, but I'm not that old. When when Doctor Ironside was uh, at Bob Jones, but he talked about uh, he used to tell about a group of believers who thought only of fellowship, and he said little concern for reaching the lost or defending a faith against its enemies. And so, in the front of their meeting place, they used to hang a sign that said Jesus only. He said the wind. Uh, occasionally blew the, uh, against it and it blew away some of the letters so that it ended up reading us only. <laughs> I think that's, that's apparent that sometimes that that happens is that, you know, it ends up being us four and no more, you know. And God says, no, 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 open your doors to everyone, you know. Um, so, uh, also, Epaphroditus was was a burden. It was a burdened Christian. He was a, a, like Timothy. He was concerned about others. In, in today's church, we need to be have people that are burdened for missions and for those difficult places to serve God in. I'm amazed that uh, I don't know that I could do the hike in Nepal. That some of anybody here gone to Nepal yet? I look at some of that that those those hikes and I'm going. I don't know if I can do it. How'd you do with the, the trip in, to, to Israel? It was good. You, you have any problems with some of those those hills? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we appreciate it. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I, there were, there, you know what? There were some of the people that, that hiked Masada. I did not. You are. Probably you you probably ran it up and probably ran it down and. Tom and I ran it up. We did. 
You guys are crazy. <laughs> crazy. I'm telling you, man, you, th those men, were, those men were, were buff. I'm sorry. It didn't matter whether they were sinewy or whatever it was. Those guys could. Those guys had thigh and, and calf muscles like you would not believe from all that walking. Rick, you had something. <laughs> I think I'd have rented a donkey to see if I could. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can tell you, we were a good place for a good place for a lounge. Yeah, I, I remember going up uh, uh, the uh, Mount of uh, Olives. Oh my word! Oh my word! I didn't think I'd ever get to the top of that thing. You know, a lot of people took a bus, and I'm going. Yeah, next time I'm taking a bus. Yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't drive the, drive the bus up there, but we, I walked it, and then I walked it going down. I was so, the, the up was was hard. The going down, I'm going, not only is it easy, but if I lose my footing, I'm really, it, I, 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 I'm sure it wasn't, but it sure felt, it sure felt like it was a 90 degree walk. You know, it's what it felt like. Huh? I might have been in sandals that day. I wore sandals a lot while I was there. But you're right. Yeah. I, you know what? Yeah, that, that wasn't me. Yeah, that was. I took the bus. It's that way. Look at that time you were smart. This is going up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to tell you something. If they ever flattened out, if they ever flattened out the Holy Land, it would be huge. It would be huge. It, it's almost like West Virginia. You know, it's just amazing. All right. So, uh, how did we get on that? All right, I don't know. So, yeah, Epaphroditus was a blessed Christian. I'm gonna. I want to jump to just some. There, as we try to wrap this up in the last few minutes here, so we can actually move on to three next week. Um, you know, when we start to try to figure out a, a passage, one of the things that we have to do is we have to exegete it. We have to understand who the people were that it was written to, what the purpose of it was what they were facing before we can try to apply it to ourselves because it can't mean something to us that it didn't mean to them. Remember, it was written to them for their benefit. There, was an issue, there were issues that had to be addressed. And so, and then, and then not only does it, we have to do that, we have to understand their culture versus our culture. And that's a struggle. And, and then we're dealing with the distance of not only culture but time, the difference in time. You know, what we, 
what we understand now is not necessarily what they understood then and vice versa. So as we start to look at that, we start to look at, you know, what's the exegetical perspective of this? And it's, it's kind of, you know, what we see is that Paul, uh, you know, when he writes, he assumes that, that some of the people, they already understand what he's writing about. You know, because and so what I try to do, hopefully I, I do it a little bit, is, is give you some perspective of what's going on and what the purpose of, and what life was like at that time, what that church was like, so that as we start to figure out how we apply it, it, it makes better sense to us. We, we want to bring this passage out of Paul's mind and out of Paul's world into our world. And it, it's, it's, under, it's, it's important that we do that. Epaphroditus and, and Timothy uh, were um, under Paul's apostolic authority, uh, much like today certain uh, denominations have uh, authority over a particular group. Think of uh, uh, the Episcopal uh, Church, uh, the Presbyterian Church, uh, have a, 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 an order. Uh, the Catholic Church, very similar to the, the Episcopal Church in the way that the order uh, uh, happens. There's a bishop. There's a, uh, in the Orthodox Church, there's a metropolitan, which is basically the same as a bishop. And, and of that, you, um, uh, you control uh, the, the village churches, the churches that are around you. And, uh, and you can remove or, or move uh, pastors as necessary. Methodist church is also uh, like that big time. If you're a, a Methodist church, uh, you don't get to choose your pastor. It's chosen for you by the leadership. Uh, the apostolic church is another church that has, has that kind of uh, aspect. And they have uh, uh, an order of, of people that are involved. Some other churches are that way too. If you're a true denomination um, versus an association, if you will, um, Southern Baptists, uh, Baptists in general don't have that. Baptist churches tend to be uh, uh, independent. But we, even within the independent church, you have a, a senior pastor, a lead pastor, and you have pastors that, that function underneath them. So there is a sense to which there's an umbrella that helps protect you uh, in what you're doing and also that you are responsible to. So uh, if there's a situation that has to happen, uh, you the, the higher-ups adjudicate you know what's going on make decisions on, on what's right you know in a baptist church and, and in and in some other uh, uh non um mainline churches uh they it's a board of elders that that has that control uh, often so uh, that's you know timothy and paul and, and epaphroditus were that way uh, theologically, the, in the theological world, uh, we end, end up getting involved in statements and confessions of faith. And, and one of the problems that we have with that is the more we get involved in that, the more that we start to set others aside based upon the fact that they don't say it exactly like we do. I can remember there was a huge, when I was in college, undergrad, there was a huge dissension between the evangelical fundamentalists over the definition of inspiration of scripture. And uh, if you didn't use the appropriate words, you were on the outside looking in. And I can remember two major powerhouses in the evangelical circles of that time that were at war over how you explained the inspiration of scripture. 
the side that I was trained in said you had to believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Word of God. Well, what in the world does plenary mean? Anybody? It means it's authoritative. It's absolute. There are no, you know, and, and so then, you know, it depends. Well, is it just the original scriptures or is it the King James? Of course, yeah. yeah unfortunately, fortunately, my, my group didn't believe that, but they had, they had a major problem with some of the, the newer, trans, the newer uh, Greek texts that had come out. They liked the Textus Receptus, man. That was important. That was a big issue for them. So uh, Westcott and Horton was not, there, was, they were not on their radar at all. Um, so anyhow, that's a problem that we run into is, is we get involved in that versus figuring out that what we need to be doing is making sure that the gospel is going forward, that the kingdom is being advanced, that, we, that we're not worrying that you say the exact word exactly the way that we do. You know how, do you know how difficult it was after being trained for so many years as to what it was required for someone to come to know Christ? You had to pray the believer's prayer. If you didn't pray the believer's prayer, I'm not sure you were saved. Now that wasn't necessary. There's nowhere in Scripture that says you must do this. There's none. But, you know, in order to make sure you said all the words, the right words, because, you know, God's more concerned about your words than your, than your thoughts, right? God, God is more concerned about your mind than your heart. No. All right. We're, I'm just going to give up on this we're not gonna yeah rick so you're talking about the hierarchy you know? yeah so with these different denominations is there a common denominator that is the uh, affirmation of the holy spirit that actually brings the leaders into leadership <laughs> yeah it yeah it is like through the leadership group yeah the you know as an example when you go through uh ordination process they 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 grill you like you would not believe you know i i think i had I think it was a three-hour, a three-hour tour, um, that uh, and the seas were getting rough, and the uh, and the the mighty ship was almost lost. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> just think of me as Gilligan. Um, so, you know, they ask and they're and they're and they're praying and saying, God, do we see? Do we sense the Holy Spirit is on this person? Because ordination is really not necessary. It is. What it is is an affirmation that, yes, there are others that recognize that the Holy Spirit is, his hand is on your life and that you are called into the ministry, you know. And then, you know, they get to, they get to vote, you know, and then they'd say that you're, you're highly recommended, you're kind of recommended. We, we think that you really should go back and restudy this area because we're not sure we agree with you. Um, you, you know, I, I've told you my... Tell you real quick uh, my story. Uh, an old old Baptist preacher who was kind of in Oakland County was kind of the guy in the Baptist circles, you know. And he's sitting there, and I'm going, I man, I, ho I was hoping he wouldn't be there because I knew kind of where he was at and some things. And I knew he and I were going to disagree in some areas, and so he was asking about uh, you know the cessation of tongues, and I told him my perspective that that no, I didn't believe that that was necessarily the case. And I said, do I think that they're as active as they might have been at one time? No, but here's my, 
here's my reasoning and here's the passage of scripture that I use to say that I still believe that they're available today in, in certain situations and circumstances. And he goes, you know, if, if he says, so he goes to me, son, if you, uh, if you spent a little more time studying the scripture, you would come to the conclusion that I have. And the, my wife says that she's sitting in the back of the room and she's, she's one of the few females in the room and she's going, oh, don't do that to my husband. You have no idea what you've done. It's like raising, you know, waving the red flag. And I, my, the first, she saw the fire in my eyes, and then she saw the fire go out. And, 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 she, she, and I go, well, well, thank you, sir. I'll certainly take that under advisement. But I, but I think that, that I, I'm correct in, in my assumption, in my belief system. But, uh, and, and so I had another, another guy who, was, who I had actually served with as one of his pastors years ago. He came, and I knew he was a King James only, and I'm going, oh, why did they bring this guy here too? You know, so he gave his spiel, and I gave my spiel as to why I thought it. And you know, we got all done, and they all agreed that I, I had, apparently, I did okay. I, they, they, they get no, no concerns. Highly recommended. You know, laid their hand, laid their hands on us, and you know, prayed over us. The, 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 the uh, and, uh, uh, you know, said I was uh, ordained. So I don't know. I was going to be ordained. I was going to preach the gospel regardless of whether they wanted to, me to or not. But that's, you know, that's one of the issues is our people. And so, yeah, there are churches that are willing to. I think it's important you don't lay hands quickly on someone. Is the Holy Spirit working in their lives? Are they important? Is 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 the Holy Spirit leading them into into whatever position they're being tapped into? Yeah. So you think that's the common denominator of the different denominations? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think each denomination is attempting to ascertain, you know, is the Holy Spirit uh, leading this person to be in whatever this ministry is? And then you have to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, and you have to allow each individual group the right to make that decision based upon their understanding of Scripture. We might not agree with it, with the way they do it, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. And again, when we get to heaven... By the way, do you know that when we get to heaven, that heaven will be full of heretics? Did you know that? Yeah. Do you know why? Because to be a heretic, according to the actual translation of the word, the definition of the word, you have to just be wrong in one point on your theology. Do you think that we got it all right and everyone else got it all wrong? Heaven is going to be full of heretics. So uh, I used to sign off on some of my blogs as the postmodern heretic. So I'm thinking about reintroducing my, my, my title <laughs> to, uh, to if I ever get around to blogging again. So all right, let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, yeah. yeah. Before we close, hmm. uh, I guess it's officially Christmas season. Yes, sir. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Remind me, and I'll try to send out a note. Yeah, send out, yeah. Or we can go to your house. Okay. You do it way. Yeah. Or we just come to your house and we can get you. Well, you can do that. We're a little two feet away. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of he's one of those neighbors, huh? <laughs> All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thanks again for the opportunity to spend time in your word. And 
there's just so much that we can learn from it. And, and sometimes I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but I think it's what you wanted for us today. So uh, we pray that you'd help us to apply this to our lives, that we would learn to live a way that is pleasing to you and being submissive to those in authority and to our God and Father. We want you to be um, pleased with us. Frankly, it would be awesome for you to be proud of us. And uh, so we pray today that you would help us during this season to remember that we are anticipating not just the first time Christ came, but the fact that he's promised he will come again and how we long and look forward to that day. Until then, Father, keep us centered in, the, in your will. Keep us focused on advancing your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.